When it started when I was a kid, I worked at an amusement park and I was selling the games. And I and I, it's just in my blood. Like I'm gonna win. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the most. And so is that amusement park by Keaton a little bit. Yeah, that same amusement park. I was 16 years old, and they said, "Hey, I need you to go sell as many games as you possibly can." And Were you getting a bonus? Yeah, yeah. They'd give bonuses and things like that. And and so you, you it made you uncomfortable to talk to a bunch of random strangers, right? Um, and then from there, uh, you know, during college, I went out to, I moved to diff- a couple different states and I knocked doors in Southern California, in selling? Denver. I was selling like satellite dish. Mm-hmm. And so I'd, I'd knock. Cable do- guy. I was the kid. I was, you know, <laughs> he's not on my side, dude, you know. Um, but I would just knock doors, sell satellite dish. And it just makes you really, really uncomfortable because I realize the more uncomfortable you are when you're young, the more comfortable you will be when you're older. Yeah. And if you are, if you can get one thing out of this, go out there and learn to knock doors. Or cold call. Cold call and knock doors for six months will change your life forever and don't give up and quit. Because a lot of times when people say no, it's not that they don't like you, it's just they don't understand. Yeah. And get uncomfortable. The more you're uncomfortable, the more you'll be comfortable in life. Dude, we all have the best time ever to start a small business. If I'm not going to be 100% in, I'm not going to do it. Come on, man. Just be yourself. Yeah. And, like, and just show up as yourself. If you don't realize what I'm really about, I'm about freedom, family, and my country. Red Suit Realtor. How you like in Jersey, my friend? It's great. It's beautiful, man. Great place. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Newport Beach, California. Yeah, but better. Way better. There is libs here, but not as many as California. Yeah. And now you're going to be able to see the beach. It's nighttime now. You guys are staying off the highway up there on exit 105 to be closer to the venue. But uh, we'll show you around a little bit tomorrow. Uh, Your real estate event with Trevor West is tomorrow. You guys are going to absolutely rock it. And that's the reason why you're sitting here today. The excellent job that you have done with that meetup as well as your brand and your business, hence the red suit you're rocking all the time, everywhere. Um, For those viewers who are your viewers and the people who follow you on Instagram, I want them to understand what this podcast is about. And this podcast is about turning around and helping people. And you're a guy that wants to turn around and help people. And there was a switch in your life when you decided to do that. And we'll get into that later in the story. But you're doing that, you know, tenfold out there in Utah. Your meetup is an investor meetup. You have contractors there. You have young realtors. You have have experienced realtors, title, mortgage. Every contractor that has to do with real estate, you have them at your meetup. And your goal this year is to help a 1,000 people flip homes that have never done it before. You're actually a published author. So when you talk about giving back and helping and turning around, you embody all that. And not only are you here on the podcast, but I am also having you emcee the event because I think that highly of you. So thank you for being here and thank you for spending your time. I appreciate it. You know, it's an honor. I mean, you know, I've realized in this life, there's a lot of takers out there and it's the the ones that give the most. They are the ones that are gonna make an impact, not only on their lives, but on generation after generation after generation. Um, You know, I read a book and it said, us as men, we really have to step it up because if we don't step it up, this this country's going in the wrong direction, and we need really really strong men. They just indicted Trump. How much BS is that? That's yeah. 
I mean, you know, he's a strong man, so they don't want strong men sticking up and calling shit out. But I saw that. I saw that. So, you know, I'm just on a mission to help a lot of people invest, do something that I've done. Um, I did it the hard way. I did it the old school way. I did it through trial and error, a lot of stupid taxes. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes in real estate. Matter of fact, one of the first homes that I ever bought as an investment property was a foreclosure in California. Um, me and my wife, actually, we renovated it. We even moved into it and got married in that property. And then when we moved, there was a squatter that actually moved into our property and we couldn't get him out because the laws protected the squatter. Yeah. And so we couldn't get him out. And I got advice that said, your best thing is to, you're going to lose this home. So we actually ended up losing the home that me and my wife got married into, you know, to a squatter. How, how's that for uh Liberal policies. Uh, a, a, a husband, right, that loses a home that they got married in. So we ended up losing that, but that was one of the best things that could have happened to me because through that process, I learned about creative finances, not the traditional way of doing real estate. And I, I really learned how to do real estate because after that, I couldn't get loans through banks and whatnot. Yeah. So I had to learn we'll, other we'll, ways to do it. We'll get into that. I want to chronologically walk through your life, right? Okay. So you were born in Utah, close to where you live now, outside of Salt Lake? Yeah, just outside of Salt Lake, about 15 minutes north. And growing up, you had a brother that had a disability. What was your brother's disability again? Yeah, so my, uh, my older brother, his name is Chad, and he had a disease called dystonia. And he could actually walk until he was about six years old. And he's five years older than me. So I don't remember him walking mm-hmm. at all. But about the age of six, he started to trip, and then he couldn't play sports, and then he was confined to a wheelchair and uh, so he was in a wheelchair for about 35 years of his life. Um, and, and as a, as young kids, your parents are scrambling around. I'm sure your brother had a lot more help that was needed, right? And uh, you were the other son in, in the mix, you know, doing your thing. Yeah. Uh, went to high school out there, right? Did you play any sports? Yeah, played a little sports. Football? A little football. Yeah. What? A little DN? basketball. Uh, you know, I was actually small. I'm big now, but you know, when I was, I'm kind of like a scrapper. So in high school, I was about five, seven mm-hmm. and about a buck 50. I thought I was like two fifty and <laughs> six, two. So I played a little receiver and a little strong safety was kind of more of my, my niche, but it, you know, in a way it was good for me because it, it taught me to grind. Like I, I just wasn't given anything. Like I didn't know that my parents had money until all of a sudden they built this house and I'm like, wow, that's a pool. My parents basically their mindset is, hey, when we when we pass away, all of our money's going to charity. You got to earn your own stuff. That's great. So I grew up thinking we were poor. Mm-hmm. And I think my parents had some money, but their whole thing is, I want to teach my kids how to work. So you were grinding. Did you like basketball or football better? Yeah, football was kind of baseball, football. I played basketball, but football was kind of my jam. I see you out there, kind of bodying like twelve year olds on the park back home on your Instagram. You know what? Yeah, they're like, I mean, it's just the like... 12-year-olds challenge you. They call you out on Instagram. You're like, yo, Red Suit, made us down at the park. So I coached my little son's football team and to toughen him up this year. I'm, I'm actually getting the full pads. You start hitting I him? can hit him. I can't hit the other kids. I'll get thrown in prison for that one. But <laughs> anyway, so, you know, it's just hard because this society, I, I think it's, I don't know if you've noticed this, but when we were raised, it was like, hey, man, there's a ball, there's some sticks, go have some fun, ring the dinner bell and come back. And we kind of raised ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if, how it was for I was, you. I rode everywhere on my bike. 
I was all over my town, the towns next to me. You know, we were out in the woods riding quads, you know, doing a lot of reckless shit. Yeah. Um, I think the world's a lot more dangerous, or at least that maybe that's what we think it is because we see so much due to social media. But yeah, I mean, obviously the world kind of raised me, you know. But Takes a village to raise somebody, and I was, ra- I was around a lot of my good friends' parents who were good people that my parents trusted. So how's that flip, though? Because we were raised that way, and nowadays there's so many helicopter parents that are everywhere. I yeah. think social media. It's just yeah. put a lot of light on sex trafficking and kidnapping and shootings and all these terrible things going on. I mean, look, this past week, you have this... Uh, transgender it was an it he we were i don't know what all the pronouns are nor do i care but she walked into a christian school and she was looking to take people's lives and thankfully the good men who were more violent and better at being violent were able to end that threat uh, for that school and for those children um again i know school shootings have happened for a while but that all seems to be ramping up significantly because you didn't have the stuff that we had growing up. You didn't have the parenting that we had growing up. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy with that story compared to a year ago in Texas when this time the cops went in there, they took care of business. Yep. It could have been a lot worse. A lot worse. But they took action. Yep. And those are some heroes, those guys that sacrificed their life saying, hey, I'm here to save these kids. Save. That's my duty. And a lot of times, you know, these, these police officers, they get crapped on for literally risking their lives and, yeah. and be, being put in Most of them are sheepdogs, you know. Yeah. You, you've heard of the sheepdog protects his, you know, the sheep versus the wolf or the lion. And uh, I put a picture up of my buddy, Detective Sherman, over here in Bayhead. Like, the guy through and through loves being a cop. But more importantly, there's no doubt in my mind that if there was a shooter in this school over here in Bayhead, He'd be the first guy through the door, yeah. putting him down and risking his own life to do so. We're getting off track because we both got ADHD, so I'm going to bring us back. Yeah, let's go. So growing up through your childhood, you shared with me, and I don't hope you don't mind me talking about this a little bit more, you know, the difficulties. Your parents doing the right thing had to really help Chad. Obviously, he had a lot more needs than you did, and you were a guy that seems confident and good-looking, and you're able to hold your own. But you and I, and I shared my story of my, bro- my brother having some troubles and some other things that were going on in my life, which took my parents' attention away from me. And that's a tough thing, right? Because you felt so bad for your brother, but you're also still a young guy growing up going, hey, I need a little help over here yeah. too, you know? I want you to talk about that. And again, I know you mean no ill will or negativity towards your parents for obviously needing to help your brother, and neither do I for mine. But I want you to talk about that from your perspective, because I think you and I have that in common. Yeah, I mean, my, my son, I mean, to put it in his shoes, he, he was, it was really, really bad. I mean, he couldn't walk. It was very difficult to talk. You know, you had to take him to the bathroom. I mean, he would wake up at 2 in the morning with cramps in his legs, mm. and he couldn't even communicate that he's got cramps in his legs. It was that bad. It was a full-time job between my mom and my dad to just take care of him, to, ha- to help him have the bare necessities. Yeah. Now, mentally, he was totally there. He loved sports, had the best personality, would always laugh and whatnot. But it was a full-time job for my parents to take care of my son. And I'm just so proud because they literally sacrificed their life to take care of your son, your brother. I mean, my, my brother. Yes. They, they, it, well, and I'll get to that, too, here in a little bit. But to take care of my brother, it was they sacrificed, like, 40 years of their life to take care of him 
And so at that same point, it's like the other siblings a lot of times just don't get the attention that they need. And so sometimes it's a little harder to have that relationship now. Um, He passed about seven years ago. And uh, when he passed, it was hard, you know, because I felt like he was my best friend. I'd take him on road trips to California, to Vegas. I'd get into trouble with him. And he loved it. You were definitely the rowdy one in your family. I was the rowdy one. I was the one that, like, I'll just say what I'm thinking. (coughs) Yeah. Instead of, you know. Partying. I'm I'm saying what everyone else is thinking. Yeah. You know, but deep down, um, it was in good fun because he just didn't have much to live for. And so when he passed, it was powerful to me because I could see, man, that guy didn't have much, but he took advantage of every single breath, every single thing. Mm. He took advantage of just the little things. (laughs) And sometimes we take that for granted. And so he was just, he's kind of like my inspiration more than anything. I was talking to you about this, that, you know, we said that's kind of when you turned your life on. Yeah. When he took his last breath was when I kind of took my first breath because I really want to honor my brother more than anything. And I know he's looking down on me saying like, Hey, like you've got a lot of people to take care of and you need to show them the way. And, and I got your back and that, that meant the world, but it's, it's one of those things through, through your trials. There's, you know, you basically make excuses or you turn those trials into triumphs. And And you turn it introspectively. You look at yourself and go, all right, why maybe, you know, for me, why was I chippy or why did my parents have to spend more time over there? And you learn and you grow up and you let it go and you move forward. Um, you were obviously the one getting in trouble and having fun. Did they ship you away on a mission? You know, yeah, yeah. Just, They're like, hey, you're out of here. I just saw the Book of Mormon. It had like the bad kid in the play. Yeah. They, like shipped him off and he was like, you know, reading pornos and doing all types of funky type of shit. Were you the, were you the bad one they shipped off? You, you know what's funny? You know, I realized as parenting and I've, I parent the exact opposite that my parents did. They kind of really, really pushed, pushed to do certain things. And that pushed me away. Yeah. And so, I, I, I mean, I did my thing in high school. I had a good time in high school and college. <laughs> but it was, for me, I did serve an LDS mission, but it was actually, like, my decision 100%. Where did you go? Matter of fact, I went to Santiago, Chile. And matter of fact, they had no idea I was even going. You get a mission call that shows up, and I said, hey, hey, mom and dad, I'm actually, I'm, I decided to go on a mission, and I, and I, showed it to them and you know we have we believe in a prophet and so as I showed that to them they looked at me and they said that's not cool I'm like what do you mean it's not cool they're like how dare you forge the prophet's signature (laughs) to say that you're going they didn't believe me that I was literally they thought I made that up as like a prank yeah for them and uh you know so for me it's kind of like man there's a big disconnect with my parents the fact that this is an important day for me and and here you go. So, yeah, I served in Santiago, Chile. So How long were you there? I was there for two years. Damn. Yeah, two That's years. That's probably pretty cool. Yeah, 19. I was 19 when I left. And uh, third world country. And I learned to serve people. And that's really all you're doing out there is you're just serving yeah. people, helping people out. And and uh, and so a lot of my background with, I'm a door knocker. Mm-hmm. You're out there knocking doors nonstop. And, uh, but it was, it was a great experience and it teaches you to become a man because literally you go from being sheltered to being in a third world country in a new language. You become grateful real quick. Oh yeah. Dylan and I were talking about this earlier at the gym. He's like, you need to travel more. And I'm pretty comfortable here by the beach. I don't have to travel anywhere, but I think you become more grateful of the things that you have. You're in that type of situation. 
So move it along. Your brother passes away. You get really focused. What were you doing at the time, door knocking? What industry were you in? And talk a little bit more about that and people's fears. Something I like in you, and I know I have, is we are unafraid to go up to anybody. You gave Trevor an idea to get some more people to the real estate event. Hey, go around Home Depot and just bump into the guy with a flannel and a tool belt on and ask him if he flips home and gets into it. Part of you was joking. Part of you was pretty serious because that's how someone like you and I operate. You are completely you know, unafraid to go up and talk to anybody about what it is that you do. For me, it was the cold calling 150 mm-hmm. to 200 people a day. You were knocking on however many doors a day selling what you were selling. And that's a skill that's lost nowadays in the young generation. And although social media is powerful and that's how you and I are sitting here today, you still need to have that skill set. So what was that industry? And talk about working through some of the uncomfortableness of how you get past that. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it it comes down to being selfish or not being selfish and practicing what you believe in. And for me, real estate's changed my life. I've been doing it for a little over 15 years now. And I've figured out a skill set that a lot of people that are doing the grind, the nine to five nonstop. And man, that sucks. That sounds awful. Mm. And you have a lot of these construction guys that they're doing all the work. They know how to do it. Well, why aren't you flipping homes? You can make, you're making all of these other guys super, super wealthy by flipping homes for them. So you right? became very passionate about helping them. But hold on. The door knocking, where, what industry did that start in? It started, when, it started when I was a kid. I worked at an amusement park, and I was selling the games. And, I, and I, it's just in my blood. Like, I'm going to win. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the most. And so, Is that amusement park by Keaton a little bit? Yeah, that same amusement park. I was 16 years old. And they said, hey, I need you to go sell as many games as you possibly can. And Were you getting a bonus? Yeah, yeah, they'd give bonuses and things like that. And, and so you, you, it made you uncomfortable to talk to a bunch of random strangers, right? Um, and then from there, uh, you know, during college, I went out to, I moved to diff- a couple different states, and I knocked doors in Southern California, in Denver. Selling? I was selling like satellite dish. Mm-hmm. And so I'd, I'd knock. Cable do- guy. I was the cable I was, you know. He's not on my side, dude, you know. Um, But I would just knock doors, sell satellite dish, and it just makes you really, really uncomfortable because I realize the more uncomfortable you are when you're young, the more comfortable you will be when you're older. Yeah. And if you are, if you can get one thing out of this, go out there and learn to knock doors. Or cold call. Cold call and knock doors for six months will change your life forever and don't give up and quit. Because a lot of times when people say no, it's not that they don't like you. It's just they don't understand. Yeah. And get uncomfortable. The more you're uncomfortable, the more you'll be comfortable in life. And what I think that helps you do, and again, you do a great job with it myself. I know that that's what allowed me to build this whole entire network I have, is in the moment, you could turn that person from being either intimidated, a little nervous, a little unsure, to laughing with you. And now you have you know, a communication no longer barrier there. You're having open communication, open dialogue with this person who obviously you want to sell them something or you want to get to know them. And uh, I just wanted to compliment you on that. You do a really, really good job. And it's a lost art and little nugget for all of you younger entrepreneurs watching. Like you need to learn from a guy like Red Suit, being able to talk to people, especially strangers and build relationships. Relationship capital is everything. So make sure you go out and learn that stuff. So 
When was it that you got into real estate? Yeah, so I think the first property I did was in 2006. How old were you? It was a duplex. I think I was 25, maybe 26 years old. And you were looking to flip that? No, that was more like I read a book called The Millionaire Next Door mm-hmm. that said that 90-something percent of all millionaires, they do two things. They're business owners and they own real estate. They do three things. They buy a lot of life insurance for that estate planning strategy at the end of those other two asset holds. 100%. And with your stuff, can't you buy real estate with those policies? I can't get too deep into that, but you have the ability to loan from your contract and act like a bank and uh, get an external rate of return, allegedly. But, you know... We could talk about that offline. That's a different, that's a different discussion. <laughs> the lawyers are watching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that was the biggest thing was like, okay, this is what they're doing. And so, okay, I'll go buy this duplex. And that wasn't even that great of a deal. Yeah. I bought it at my college town. I rented it out to rugby How buddies. How did you buy it? Uh, I, just, I just took action. Like realistically. So talk about the young people out there. They're going to be coming up to this event. And this will be released next week. Yeah. You guys will already have the event, but they're probably going to watch it after they meet you. And they get to love you the way that myself and Trevor and all of us do. Talk about how at 25 years old, you went out and bought a duplex. Yeah, so so I even teach the guys that want to flip homes with me. I said, look, you're probably not going to make a ton of money on your first deal. You need, a, you need to do this for the experience. The experience is going to be worth way, way more than any type of dollar amount, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you absolutely. know, because that's what's going to teach you, hey, do you love doing this? Do you have the skill? Do you have a passion for it? It's your second, third, fourth, fifth deal. That's the deal you're going to crush it on. But most people don't get to that fifth deal. Most people don't even get to their first deal because the analysis paralysis kicks in. Mm-hmm. They don't take action. I'm a shoot first, aim later guy. Yeah, if I make stakes, I'll down. figure it out. I'm a fixer. Like yeah. I, I'll see something, I'll try to fix it. Doesn't work very well with me and my wife because you know she tells me about what's going on in life, and I'm trying to fix her problems. I just want to like, point it out again. She is way too good looking for you, but you must be again. That door knocking has really helped you out in I, multiple departments of your life. I outkicked my coverage on that one. So real quick, I want to talk about. Jordan Peterson talks about this all the time, about the young people overanalyze, 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 instead of just taking action. And I'll actually give this guy, Rob Belcourt, credit. Years ago, he came into our industry. He did real estate. He got spanked in 2008, really flipped his world upside down, his marriage upside down. He got that all fixed, came into financial services. It's, it's an art to sell at a high level of you know the insurance products that I utilize and how I utilize them. And then the investment side is obviously any time you're getting somebody to open up their checkbook or their personal financial statement for you, you got to have a lot of trust that you earned. And so it's a, it's a difficult job. Long story short, Rob just, just took action and started trying stuff and doing stuff. And, you know, people were talking about him. I'm like, this guy is failing forward. Yep. He's figuring it out. And now five years later, this guy has his own firm with about 50 advisors underneath him. And that's you. You went and took action. I want you to talk a little bit more about the details of where you got that money. How did you get the money? How did you figure that out as a 25-year-old to go buy the duplex? Because I know people out there are reading the real estate. They're paying every guy online. They should be paying you some money to get in your coaching group. Talk about how you got money for those first five deals. Yeah, so the biggest thing is you have to surround yourself with experts, with people that you trust. So for me at the time, it was my cousin that was a loan officer in that industry. And I was like, oh, this looks like a cool duplex. Hey, how do I get the money? Like at the end of the day, you just have to learn to ask better questions Mm -hmm. and surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Mm -hmm. 
And that takes a little bit of humility because we want to act like we know everything. A lot of times, even today, people start talking about random things in real estate. I'm like, hey, I don't know what you're even talking about right now, but my buddy over over here, this guy can take care of you. And so when you become the master connector, that's how you build a massive amount of wealth. And so taking action, you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know, like it's one thing to watch somebody else flip a home, but it's another thing to buy a home, the pipes burst, you've got water everywhere. How do you fix, where's the water shutoff valve, right? So it's just about taking action. That's where you get most experience in your life. And you're supposed to fail. Like every deal I go into it, I say out of 10 deals, I'm probably gonna lose money on two or three of these deals. Like I already know that. And now all of a sudden it's like, okay, the fear's out the window. Okay, there's my loser. And I've got these five, six, seven other deals that are going to make up You become like a CEO. He knows that there's going to be loss there. He knows there's going to be theft. And talking about, I want to go back to real quick, Master Connector. That's something I've prided myself on and I'm extremely proud of because, again, that relationship capital is everything. But you really become like a CEO because you know who's really good. Hey, you need a video guy? I got Evan. You need a contractor over here, I got this dude. You need somebody to do tile, I got Mr. Carbone, right? You have everybody in that investor meetup that you know does their job very, very well. You're the guy hanging outside the helicopter and coordinating and integrating all of these people to get these flip dones or these jobs done or to get these deals closed on the loan side of it. And I think that's a skill set a lot of people should really try to learn and uh, shape themselves around being able to use other people. Everybody's always like, me, me, me. They want to grab everything in, right? There's been a ton of people that said, you know, why don't you swallow up Evan and him come work for you and you take an override and you get a copywriter and this, because I want these people to also succeed Mm -hmm. and it's not what I'm an expert at. When I'm doing what I'm good at, that's when I make the most money and I know that you're recognizing that. Yeah. Well, and the, and the thing is, is if you take care of that person, like every person I talk to, it's not about like what's best for me. If I see that drywall guy at Home Depot, I say, hey man, do you want more business? I got a bunch of people that are looking for drywallers. Boom, all of a sudden they have a reason to show up. All of a sudden they have a reason to follow you on social media. All of a sudden they have a reason to trust you because you led with how do I help this yeah. person win? Instead of focusing on like, give. hey, do you want to flip a home with me and do all this other stuff? No. How can I help you out with your business? And I've, I, and it's amazing what happens when you show genuine interest in somebody and you want them to win. Then you start to build loyalty with people that are your ride or dies, people that will do anything for you. So it's just an interesting concept that I think if you want to build a business, you have to focus and you have to be adaptable too to everyone. Everyone's a little bit different. So you have to be able to figure out like really what they want and you have to do your research on people as well Yeah, and connect with them that way. So yeah, just- this podcast, you know, again, I started in the beginning with turning around and helping the next guy or girl. And I was that guy, I think for a long time, just like me, 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 not on purpose. It was just me trying to survive. But then once the, the, the pandemic hit and we, we got Fireside America and local mentorship coaching, coaching, working with guys like Trevor and others, like that purpose, that light came on for me. And since then, I've, I've you know, tripled my business and my income, um, well, doing the right thing and helping others. Well, and that's what I've noticed about you is you, you have that genuine interest in helping a lot of people win. But I think there's other things behind the scenes that, that, that I've seen with you. 
I always say your why should make you cry. Mm -hmm. People's whys are so small, it's about a paycheck. Instead of like, I don't want to let my brother, I don't want to let my wife, and I don't want to let my kids down. Mm -hmm. When I have a bad day, stop being selfish. It's about them. It's not about me. Okay, I can get another 20 no's because it's not about me. And so I think that's the biggest reason why people fail. They don't have a why big enough to go for it. Yeah, they don't have something that's pulling them. They're trying to push the boulder up the hill instead of pushing it down the hill, having something pull you in a direction. I I couldn't agree more. So you do your first five deals. You're now in your 30s. You know, flipping homes became your main source of income. Yeah, so, you know, I always say work full-time on your job, part-time on your fortune. For the first 10 years with real estate, I had a full-time job. I was working in real estate, helping people with business entities, things like that. But I would just on the side, I, I would, I'd find a house, we'd kind of renovate it. I had a crew, we'd fix it up, we'd sell it, and then we'd go get the next one. I'd do maybe four to six a year, somewhere in that ballpark, mm-hmm. you know. But then about three, four years later, you know, somebody said to me, you're being selfish. And I was like, what do you mean I'm being selfish? He's like, you have a skill set to, to go out there and teach and inspire other people to do this. And you're being selfish by not getting out there and showing other people what you're doing. And so then my other stuff, because it was more employee working for the man where you're on their schedule. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I just got to go for it. So I went full-time, full-time real estate about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, got my real estate license three years ago. Um, and, and then it's just... And already top 250 at EXP. That's impressive. Yeah, well, it's, it's in Utah. Yeah. You know, it's for the group there. I mean, I, I hit up my first year as an agent. And here's the problem with most agents is they're all, they're doing the exact same thing that everyone else is doing. My, I figured out my niche that people have money sitting in the bank Mm -hmm. and it's not making them any money. So why not invest in real estate? So I'll approach somebody saying, Hey, if I'm able to find you a really good investment property, are you interested? Why are people so afraid to do that? Cause I see it all the time. I, I, I have to be careful with my investment licenses but if I wanted to, I can go put a lot of people in touch with a lot of others because there's people over here with opportunity and there's people over here with cash. Talk about the hesitation. Again, this goes back to you being a door knocker and unafraid to ask an uncomfortable question. What do you think people run into and how could you help them get over that? Are you talking about kind of Approaching the, the someone, agents doing that or someone, just in someone, general? Someone wanting to flip. Someone wanting to talk to somebody about an investment and getting that money. A lot of times a realtor, in my eyes, and what I think most people would look at a realtor as, is you're handling the transaction of me selling my home or buying my home. They don't think about it in a, in a way that you're thinking about investment. And then obviously you had the flipping homes background. Mm-hmm. How do you go and approach that person? You're looking to get into that world and you're looking to flip some more homes. You know people over here have cash. How did you go and approach the first person you asked for their money? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, the first deal was out of necessity um, on our on our deal because I couldn't get a loan from the bank, the first property I wanted to flip. Mm-hmm. And so I figured out, I did some research and I could borrow from my wife's 401k IRA, mm-hmm. do a self-directed IRA. I said, hey, honey, I need to borrow some money yeah. here to close this transaction. And so a lot of times so you swindled her into marrying you <laughs> and then you stole her money. <laughs> you are good. <laughs> We're not going to use the words. 
I'm telling Still, you. we're going to use the word, <laughs> but I'll pay you back, honey. Yes, I promise. Yes. I'll do the dishes yes. one time. Um, you know, it's crazy because every single deal is different. And so, you know, the approach you have to take is, and it's really hard concept for people with flipping homes. It's really not that hard if you know what you're doing. But if I were to tell you, and I don't know if you're into cars, do you like cars? What's I, your favorite like- car? Corvette. Yeah. All right. So Mustang GT. Mustang GT. If I told you, hey, I can get you a Mustang GT for ten grand and it's worth fifty grand. Mm-hmm. I mean, would, would you be able to figure out if you didn't have ten grand? Would you be able to figure out how to come up with ten grand? Yeah. It's the same concept with real estate. Mm-hmm. It's all about finding the deal. If you find the deal, the money will follow. The problem is, is people aren't willing to ask the question. They're not willing to do research. On our way out here, I literally, we drove by a house in Port Elizabeth. Is there a place called Port Elizabeth? Yes. We drove by and there was a guy out there working on a property and and I'm like, honey, we're pulling over. She's like, no, we're not. This place looks a little dangerous. (laughs) And I'm like, he might be more scared of me than I am of him. So literally the door was open. I walked in and I figured here's a contractor. He's probably working for another investor this other investor might have 10, 20 other deals. He might've gotten slammed with this new market where he's trying to offload some of these deals here, Mm. right? And so it's just knowing how to identify deals, identify people, that becomes a skill Skill set. set. I think you're really, really good at it. You can see right through people in five seconds. And Mm. so it's the same concept with finding deals. You have to become a very, very good detective. But a lot of it comes from experience. I have experience getting people's money, and I say that in a good way, not a bad way. I'm able to add value to them and get them to trust in me, and we make maneuvers for their financial planning. Um, That is something that people are looking for and yearning for. So the person who may have 500 grand and they're in their 40s sitting in the bank, and there is 40-year-olds who have, a lot of them have 500 grand sitting in the bank, they see what's going on with, you know, Silicon Valley mm-hmm. National Bank, and they're going, well, only 250 of my money's covered. They've been wanting to do something, but they are not the entrepreneurial person themselves. So you approach them with some confidence, and you're like, hey, I got this deal, I'm getting it at a good price, and this is going to be our exit. You know, if you go shake enough hands or you do enough investigating, you're going to find that person that wants to write you a check. Yep. You know, they are out there. They're afraid to do it themselves. So it's the person who has a vision, the person who's going to put the pen to paper, and then the person who's going to take action on it. And you could be all three of those people. You just need the money. Yep. And there's a lot of different ways to, you know, buy businesses as well, seller financing, um, creative financing. Does most of your deals come from self-directed IRAs? No. Um, all different ways. People yeah, write hard, hard, hard money's typically the biggest, but a lot of it comes from trust. Mm-hmm. Um, we just did a deal. A guy from my group, he's like, "Hey, I want to flip a home." I'm like, "Cool." Um, and usually, you have to put like ninety percent. Um, you put ten to twenty percent down on the deal, and then a hard money lender, if it's a good deal, they'll loan you the other eighty, ninety percent. But you don't have to go through that typical loan process. Yeah. So literally last week, there was a deal. A guy brought it to me who I trusted. He's been doing this for 15 years. He's like, I've got this deal. I've got the money for the deal. Does anyone want this deal? This guy's like, hey, I'm interested. And he, he didn't even walk through that deal. He's just seen what I've done with my deals. I don't care about the first deal. I care about the 20th deal. It's that relationship, that trust. He's like, I want it. 
we literally closed on that deal before he even walked through that property. Now, I wouldn't typically advise doing that, but on these fix and flip rehabs, you're going to go through and gut them anyway. He did go around the outside, looked at the outside, make sure there's no foundations, you have a title company and whatnot. But it's building that trust. If you build trust with somebody, they'll write you a check for a million dollars because they trust you. If you don't build trust with somebody, to, to get $10 out of somebody can be hard. Yeah. So the name of the game is building that rapport and building that trust. After you've built that trust, they'll write you the check. And I'm sure you've seen that as what you've put together with all these events and everything else. It's like relationships. It's long, it's playing the long term. You know, a lot of times people are short term, like they want that short term hit, boom, boom, sales, flip a product, they're peddling a product. The one thing I've been able to do as a young kid coming from Bricktown, and I'm gonna talk more about my story at the event, I don't wanna give too much of it away, but I was poor, I did not have a wealthy market, I did not have a wealthy aunt or uncle to go to. I had work ethic from watching both of my parents work hard, but they didn't know the first thing about saving money. Uh, I don't even know if they have retirement savings now at, at the age of 65 years old. So I wasn't gonna learn it at home, right? But what I did know is how to work with people and how to build relationships. So I moved over to this area, which is a little bit wealthier, uh, a lot wealthier, I should say, and I started showing up to golf outings, booster clubs, right? Kids cancer event. And these were things that I was aligned with. Who doesn't want to go help kids cancer? Jason's Dreams for Kids was an event that myself and my partner, Guy Tirandola, supported. We'd bring like 20 clients there. And again, I would be like broke, almost not able to pay my Mm -hmm. rent, but I just spent... $10,000 on getting 25 golfers there. Mm -hmm. Well, I could tell you this, 90% of those guys that I brought to that golf outing 15 years ago are clients to this day, and I've made a hell of a lot more money than 10 grand with those individuals. So building that long-term relationship and not looking at it as how can I get that hit now, how can I get that short sale now, uh, I think is extremely important. And a lot of times people nowadays especially, you know, they want that, that, that have short-term thinking. Um, so obviously you do a really good job with it. Yeah, I think, I think that gives somebody purpose in life, helping others and giving back to it. My parents, when I was young, they, they, we took trips to Bolivia, Peru, Mexico, where we would build little community centers and we could see really what the most of the world lived like. like. And so we would be out there in tents, it'd be raining and we would, to see these people's eyes because you, you built them a community center that was the best thing that my parents could have ever done for me was to teach me that, hey, like the world is a lot different, but that servitude mindset. And so a lot of what we do, it's not just about real estate. It's also about culture. Yeah. And it's all about Servant giving leadership. back in that mindset. And the more you give it, it, what it does is it empowers people saying, man, I can trust this guy. He's not about himself. And I think that's powerful. And, and I, you do an amazing job with it. And you built a lot of trust in the in the area, in the market, and this event that you're putting on is like, in, I mean, 99.9% of people couldn't do what you've done in the short period of time. It's been and a little bit of stress. That's inspirational, though. <laughs> that, that, yeah, you're going to throw an awesome me. event. I'm going to come. I want to talk more about this, though. Yeah. But right now, we're going to pan to a break real quick. Okay. Maybe get another seltzer, and then we'll be right back. <laughs> While we are off camera, Red Sue and I were having a slight disagreement about, uh, you know, we talk about cigars. We talk no, about cigars. I was, I was, You're messing me up. That, uh, oh yeah, we're gonna give him love right now. Nah, fuck him. I'm not giving him any more love no. for that guy. No, he's out. <laughs> if he ain't coming, he out. Yeah. He's, is he coming? No, he's not coming. Yeah, yeah all right, dude. 
Frank, you're out. Anyway, jumping back in, we were having a little argument off screen, you know, about you and I having, you know, the worst case of ADHD, whether mine was worse or yours was worse. I asked you 30 questions in one sentence. You're only able to track one. So we're going to tone this down the second half. We're going to keep a little light. We're going to have some fun. You in? Let's go. Let's go. So talking about fun is you're wearing a red suit in my backyard right now at Jordan's. Are those Nikes red too? Uh, I think so. They are red. They're Look red. At that. Nice. You should have red socks too. A client gave these to me. It nice. seriously was the best gift of my life. He just said, here you go. And I said, all right, let's go. That's nice. So you're in this game. You're obviously great at talking to people. We talked about door knocking, cold calling, having the ability to get uncomfortable and talk to people. What made you start wearing the red suit? And that was one question. The red suit. My daughter, I, I bought a red suit to, to show up to a football game. And As the coach? like No, just like I went to University of Utah, and I was like, that would be fun to sit in the Oregon fan section until I realized that they drink a lot, and sitting in a red suit in their world was a very terrible idea. I think I ended up with a lot of beer on me. and um, Anyway, so I would wear it to football games just for the heck of it, just for fun. This and, is high school games or Pop uh, Warner? College, college, college football games. So, so, and you would go sit in the other team's stands? Yeah, just like the Pac-12 championship game. It was the Washington section, and I was there all in purple, and I was like, that'd be awesome in a red suit. Why not? And so I just did it for fun, like to make the game a little bit more of an experience as opposed to just who wins and loses. And so then after I got my license, my daughter looked at me, and she's like, hey, Dad. You're the red suit realtor. And so I looked over at my wife, and she's like, that's actually genius. Yeah. And, you know, it just has a flow to it. But I wanted to make sure she was okay with it because I don't do anything halfway. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a full-time commitment. I've got 12 red suits yeah. now. And you flew here on the plane at midnight in a red suit. Oh, yeah. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I don't I don't lay back. If I don't wear a red suit now. Were you wearing the red suit when you went into Elizabeth and knocked on a door? I was. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, what got me in the door. What was that guy's like reaction? Like, am I in trouble? <laughs> I was like, you were the feds showing up in a red suit. <laughs> like last night at the airport, Delta, they all like the supervisors wear red suits. Yeah. So people were coming up asking me questions about their flights. <laughs> anyway, so it's it, you know what I I think the red suit's been good. It disarms people. Yeah. My whole motto when I started with the flipping, if a guy in a ninety nine dollar red suit can flip homes. So can you. Mm. And so it's just a way to disarm people a little bit. I think people are a little too serious. Yeah. Sometimes on this podcast, you know, I've, you know, we're getting a little too serious here. Yeah. But I just feel like it's a good way to, like, disarm the conversation. People can open up. And, and it's okay to be a little bit different just be you. And, so and they identify. Behind it. I know Sean Whalen gave you some love the other day. You were sharing that video on his coaching call, and he called on you. And obviously because you stand out, the Red Suit Realtor, and you've kind of bounced around on a bunch of podcasts now. You've had some individuals pay you fifty grand to come out and teach them what you're doing out in Utah with your investor meetup. Um, and I think people can identify with the Red Suit. I remember Andy Fasillo talking about a story with his face and how he tried to get into that altercation and save that person. I forget exactly what the details were, but his face was slashed you know, severely. And he was very depressed about it and felt a certain way about it because people looked at him and they knew, he knew they were looking at them. And he ran into this woman inside of a supermarket one day, and she also had some other type of 
you know, issue with her face, and they both started busting out laughing. And from that point on, he was going to conferences, and he was getting on calls, and people were identifying with his scar. And it was something that made him memorable. Like, you are an extremely memorable person. You know, you come into the room with a lot of energy, and you're wearing a bright red suit. So when people want to talk about marketing, you're not going out and spending $50,000 on a billboard campaign to splash on the scene as a house flipper or a realtor in your area. You're rolling around in a $99 red suit. Like, talk about your mindset on that and what that's been able to do for your business. Yeah, I mean, everything's about marketing and branding. And so when people think of real estate, I've gotten so many calls saying, hey, I want to flip a home, the first person that pops, hey, there's that red suit realtor guy. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like it's important to build your brand before you build anything else outside of it. I agree. Because after you have that brand, then it doesn't matter what you're doing. You build that brand, you build that trust. And so the red suit realtor, it's it's caught on. It's just got a catchy name to it. And so instead of spending $100,000 on marketing and branding and not even, and a lot of those times you're not even getting people that you trust. Yeah. You have to be memorable. And so the red, but, but you also have to do something that's authentic to you. Like I was wearing a red suit before, so it's not just this gimmick because mm-hmm. those gimmicks will turn out. So when people are asking me, Hey, what are you doing with marketing? I said, you got to do something that you love, that you're passionate about, but that's entertaining and you can have a good time and you can laugh at yourself with it. I mean, I had somebody at the supermarket the other day that called me the red slut realtor. He saw, cause I've got like, you know, red suit, red slut looks yeah. like it, you know? And I, and I basically said, Hey man, I'll do anything to sell your home, <laughs> right? <laughs> anything, right? People make fun of me all the time, but a lot of self-confidence also comes from being able to make fun of yourself because if you can make fun of yourself, then what else do they have against you? Well, people also making fun of you, a lot of times humor is in a good way. You know, they, they like you. They're busting your chops because they, they find something about you is confident, right? So obviously when I started this podcast, it was like, oh, Ryan Rogan. You know, what do you think you're Joe Rogan? Well, people are talking about you. Whether it's good or bad, they're talking about you. That's great PR. It's great marketing and great for your brand. How did you get into the social media world? Because that's how we met. Yep. And then obviously through Limitless Society as well, we got to give Keaton some love. But you quickly went from having like a non-existent Instagram to now you have almost 4,000 followers. And what, what, what time frame is that? Two years? No, it's been a little over a year. year? That's impressive. Yeah, I think I had 280 followers. Matter of fact, I had about 350. And I went through there of people that... I'm not entertained by or not adding value to my life. I didn't care who they were. I didn't care if they were super close family members. And I said, if this person's not adding value in my life, they're out. And I just unfollowed a bunch of people and they probably unfollowed me as well. So I started with like 285. I'd rather have a core of two, 300 solid people that are watching (laughs) my stuff than have 100,000 where 99% of them are fake followers. So a lot of times it's like when you're, when you're cutting a tree, you have to cut the bad branches out in order for that tree to grow healthy. Mm-hmm. And so my coach, you know, and we were part of the lion's den as well. He said, you're losing so much money by not being on social media. It's free marketing, free advertising, get out there, be vulnerable, start posting. And so I just, you know, I'm out there in the red suit. Might not, might as well throw it on Instagram. I just started doing that. 
and now it's memorable, and then it just went from that face to the and next. And this is what next. people don't realize. You don't need a million followers like Keaton have to make money. You can have 2,500 solid followers who are people who are engaging with your page, and they are your end user, they are your target market, and make a lot of money, like a really good living. So don't always think about, you know, because I see the guys with 20,000 followers, 50,000 followers. I have people DM me every day, hey, I get your follow-up. I have 42, 4,300 solid real followers that I've built since we started this podcast. So they are there. They want to be business owners or they're currently business owners. They want to come on my platform and have me talk about their stuff. That is the person that I want to sell financial services to. I only work with business owners in my finance business. I am only talking to business owners on my podcast. Most of the people who follow me are either young entrepreneurs wanting to become business owners or business owners. So to your point, get rid of the people that are wasting your time. You don't need a million followers and hyper-focus on what you want to do. And social media is an extremely powerful tool, at least for this season. It may switch up and change up in 10 years, but I say it the last couple podcasts, if you are not on social media and you're a business owner, it doesn't matter if you sell guns, do jujitsu, concrete, you know, dump truck driver, whatever it may be, you are like the old guy who refused to adapt to the cell phone. He was still carrying around the beeper while the cell phone was out for five years. So there was another guy on the golf course that was closing just as many deals as him, and his beeper went off the, on the golf course. And by the time he got back to a phone to call that guy, the other dude on the golf course yeah. closed the deal. And if you're not utilizing social media and seeing what I'm doing and seeing what Scott has been able to do, and that's going to continue to blow up, uh, I really think you're missing out on it. Yeah. Well, and you got Facebook too. So you could have people, like I don't know how you do it, but I use Facebook more for like family and pictures and things yeah. like that. And my Instagram's more for kind of business and like what I'm doing with real estate and whatnot. And you use Facebook as the group as well. Yeah, we've got a we've got a Facebook group that you know. What people, is your Facebook group called? It's called Suited for Success Real Estate Group. And is that a free group to Yeah, it's a free group. So and, anybody can go and, you know, ask to be a part of your Facebook group. And what are you doing in there? Are you doing trainings? Are you facilitating your meetups? There's conversations going on, problem solving. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I just help people in my group. Like contractor people are always looking for good tile guys, contractors. If there's a deal, I'll throw it up on there. I want to feed my group first before everyone else. I'll throw it up there. Hey, who wants this deal? And literally adding value to them. Or it's like, hey, who needs a house cleaner? Who needs a tile guy? Mm. People can go on there. It's a networking. It's kind of like if... If uh, I always say if Craigslist, Angie's List, and the Red Suit Realtor had a baby, that's basically the networking group. It's verified, vetted people. Yeah. If they're bad, I'll kick them out of the group yeah. because I don't want one person fox in the hen house. And so I've, I've been able to control that a little bit, and it hasn't been too bad. But literally, we're passing business back to back and forth to each other. Yeah. That's what it's all about. That's the same thing with the pit. You know, I always say I keep my grass cut low because there's a lot of snakes out there. You know, if you're getting a contractor or a realtor or a lawyer in that group, you know that they're legit because Ryan's keeping an eye out all the time. And I know that your people, again, going back to brand and trust, trust in you. Talk about the paid version of your coaching. Have you flipped any of those groups into paid yet? I know you do a higher ticket number. If you're flying somewhere around the country, you're going to go show someone how to make this real estate uh, investor meetup happen. Is there any other, you know, 
less out-of-pocket cost? Yeah, we're, we're working on some stuff. I mean, we, we do a lot of like bus tours. We do, we do a weekly Sweeto Burrito meetup where people come in and connect. Yeah, Keaton said he was having like Sunday dinner and you rolled up with like 100 people at his house. Yeah, he, he cracked that door <laughs> open and I said, hey, do you mind if I bring a few people? And we literally had like 60 people at his house. It was great. It was amazing. Yeah. He's like, what in the world was going on? He's like, maybe I shouldn't let this guy knock on my door. No. Shoot then, him next time he's coming up the driveway. Well, and he told me, he's like, hey, I want to flip a home. I'm like, are you sure? Because if you say that, it's going to happen. A month later, we're flipping a home together. Yeah. Um, that was a cool video you guys did. You know, and that's the thing, like, with... You know, Talk I, about the bus tours real quick and, and how you're organizing all that. Because these are, these are things that just take a little bit of courage of sticking your neck out there and being a leader, right? If you build it, they will come. And a lot of times it's hard to stick your neck out because you're afraid they won't come. And maybe only five come at first, and then it's 10, and then it's 20, and then it's 50, right? At throwing this first event. You know what? It could have been 50 people show up. Thank God we, you know, between the two days, we have over 200, right? But you were a leader in your community for real estate. How did the whole organization come about with the bus tour? And that was one question, the bus tour. How did that come about? Yeah, we started, my coach at the time, I, I asked him, should I throw a huge event or should I do whatever? He said, just get started. So we started, I literally sat down with one guy. We started talking about real estate. The next week we had like six people. Then we had 12. Then I did an event on a house I flipped and I had everyone come out. They want to see what I did. Mm-hmm. It was about to sell. And so we had like 60 people in that house. We talked about it. And then Hey, who wants to do a bus tour of, of a bunch of houses um, that uh, there's a guy named Brett Johns. He's a contractor in our group and he flips a lot too. And he does it kind of a different way. So it's good. And we basically said, Hey, can we go through a couple of your projects, a couple of my projects? We rented the fun bus and literally we packed everyone in the bus and we showed up at Keaton's house and we saw three or four other properties and we just added an insane amount of value the other people are charging tens of thousands of dollars. Hey, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Give, 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 give. How much was it? Free? Um, I, we just let everyone just just show up. Like yeah. we ate the cost and we built the brand and you got the excitement. But now guess what? When people want to list their home, I'm getting paid on the back end. It's happening. Yeah. Hey, I want to do a deal. They flip a home. I'll list it. So instead of the typical coaching where I'm going to charge you 10, 20, 30, 50 grand, 100 grand. I mean, I've got out of staters where I'll do that stuff with them. But for me, it's like, hey, you work with me. I'll teach you everything I know about real estate. I'll walk you through the process. I'll list it on the back end. You're going to pay a real estate agent anyway mm-hmm. that doesn't even understand that. <clears throat> and so that's how I teach people how to do it, and it doesn't cost them anything extra. So it's a I, win for them. I talk about this all the time. I get paid for doing the things that don't pay me. So it's providing value maybe at another piece of advice in the tax world or connecting them with a tax professional that I know can help them take advantage of the strategy. On the back end of that strategy is the product or service that I provide. And a lot of times, again, people are going back to being short-sighted. They don't think that way. So a lot of other realtors are like, well, why would I do that? I just want to go list that house once it's ready to list. Well, you're not going to have the opportunity because Red Suit was already there showing this person how to identify the right property, showing them what contract to utilize, and then helping them of where their price point should be. Who do you think is getting the listing? And, you know, again, your long-term view is spot on. Yeah, think about it. If I help somebody go flip a home or buy a great investment property, when it's time for them to list their home, who do you think they're going to call? 
the guy that helped them win or the guy that's been bugging them to move out of the neighborhood for the past four years so he can make a commission? It depends if I live close or not. <laughs> if I live close, they're calling me and Trevor. Yeah. If they're out by you, they're calling Red Suit. So I want to talk deeper about how you want to move into that coaching space more. We met on the Lions Den. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in Limitless Society together. I, I've been watching, you know, hardcore closer Ryan for 10 years. You know, people who sleep on these types of groups are really being silly. Like, there's a tremendous amount of value. Is there stupid stuff in there at times that you're like, eh? You know, eat the meat and spit yeah. the bones. Mm-hmm. Don't sit there and be negative. And I was one of those guys because I was a tough guy and I hated school. I didn't love education. Even back in the day going to the financial conferences, it was like, eh, you know, like, what's this guy going to teach me? I already understand that strategy or that move. But a lot of times it wasn't the person on the stage that taught me something. It was the dude I was having a beer with at the bar later that drew something on a napkin for me that have made me hundreds of thousands of dollars throughout my career. So you understand the value of these groups, of these meetups like I'm doing. I want you to talk about your vision and what that paid model looks like. And again, you don't have to go into detail of how that digital infrastructure is built. We're going to build that together. Sure. But talk about your vision for it. Yeah. So to be a great coach, you also have to be coachable. So I have a ton of coaches. People say, which coach should I join? Join them all Mm -hmm. that you feel is going to add value. So I'm part of Rob Bailey's coaching group, Mm -hmm. CCV. I'm part of Limitless Society with Keaton. I'm part of Sean Whalen's The Lion's Den. Why? Because there's thousands of people that are very similar to to me that I can build those relationships. But as I start to build mine, I can take a piece of what Rob Bailey's doing that I absolutely love and incorporate that in my group, a piece of what Sean's doing, a piece of what Keaton's doing, a piece of what you're doing with the pit. And that's how you build a massive, massive infrastructure by learning from the best, learning from the best coaches. And so as moving forward with this, I'm taking all these little nuggets. And not only that, I'm meeting so many amazing people like you. This wouldn't happen if we weren't part of these groups together. Uh, And the power of connection is the name of the game. And I know at the event, you've really, really strived where everyone connects with each. It's great with what the speakers are talking about. But the people that actually go out there and connect, they're the ones that are going to get the most value out of it. Yeah, and I'm going to be moving around that event Friday like it's my cocktail dinner. You know, I'm going to attack every table and make sure the right people are shaking hands. You know, the person who works in weddings don't necessarily need to talk to the guy who, you know, is a doctor right now, right? He's 60 years old. He doesn't need to talk to the young person planning weddings uh, unless he had a kid that's looking to have a wedding. But the right people in the room need to be put together. And, you know, that's a you know, that's a big task. I got to go rent this venue. I got to go get some bartenders and some food trucks. And I got to invite people. And I got to build a digital infrastructure to handle the registration and, and the AI payments, right? That's a lot of work. Or I could just pop on the pit and be like, hey, we're going to hop on a live later and 50 people jump on and we all talk about our problem of the day. Yep. Or we talk about our win of the day. Or we talk about, you know, something that we have a vision on and how we're going to execute that. And guess what? Maybe there's contractors in there that's going to help you build that. Or they're going to help you flip the house. Or there's a mortgage broker who's going to help you fund the deal. Or there's just an investor in there that wants to fund your opportunity. And I could do that at a click of a button sitting on the toilet. Or sitting in my mountain house. 
So these groups are extremely important. Now, I think this face-to-face is a lost art, and people need to also do that. That's why, you know, a few times a year, you need to get out to, you know, my event, Keaton's event, Sean's event, you know, whoever speaks to you, whatever person is, you know, doing what you're currently doing and they're going to give you added value, get out there and shake the hands of those people who are in the same battle as you. But you could do that every single day virtually. And I'm, on, I'm going on a run-on right now, but I want people to understand this nugget. Back in the day, it was, let's go to a happy hour. Well, I get fatter every time I do that. My blood pressure goes higher every time I do that. My wallet becomes a little lighter every time I do that. Or let's go to breakfast. Let's go to lunch. You know, beginning of my career, I was driving from here all the way to New York City for coffee in the morning. Or I was driving to North Jersey. Or I was driving to South Jersey. Or down to Philly. Or out to AC. Right? That's a lot of travel time in the car. That becomes a lot after 5, 10, 15 years. Right? Let alone my whole career. And a lot of times, you were just doing that to have a potential quick interaction for me to pitch you my elevator speech. Right? Well, every time I share something on Instagram or I share it in the pit, that gets put through the social media worlds and thousands and thousands of people, if not millions, see it. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the power of these groups is so extremely important and not enough people are engaging enough. And I know that you see that and you have a really big vision. What does your price model look like? So someone may be following you now or they're in your current coaching group. You know, you're going to flip that thing on in the next couple months. I'm going to help you build it, right? What are you going to charge them? Talk to the people. They're going to be watching this. Yeah, and one of the things that you're a master at with the social media is you go on when someone does a live, I see you on there because I'm on there commenting, supporting, right? That loyalty means the world for people Yeah, that they'll get on a plane and come out here and do that. Yeah. I know Jake had his the other night. He was playing, and I saw you on there, right? Yeah. Um, so we're going to have different models for different people, right? You have that short-term mindset people. I don't want to eliminate, so we'll have a free group that we already have. We'll probably have a, a, a very, very smaller that just, show, you know, when you invest into something, you're going to take it that much more serious, mm-hmm. right? And then I'm thinking we'll probably have a bigger ticketed item where it's more of an inner circle group. Mm-hmm. Just copy what works. I haven't figured that out. That's part of the reason I'm here is you can connect me with those people, because, I, I mean, I'm helping a 1,000 people is my goal, you know, in real estate. And a lot of these people need help. They need coaching. Yeah, but you don't have to be in person with them. They could be in your group, and they could be here in New Jersey and paying you yep. 120 bucks a month to be a part of that mid-level group. Yeah, so I, th- I think as I'm figuring that out, too, on the digital infrastructure, but also, like, you get the people that are like, hey, I want to do high-end deals okay, you'll want to be in this group because you're going to have people talking about high-end deals. Hey, I just want to flip a home. Hey, here's a fee that shows that you're committed. That's really all it does is it shows the people who's committed and who's there just for a free meal. Yeah. You know, and I want to support those that support me and vice versa, and that's how yeah. we all win Are together. you interested or are you committed? Yeah. You know, I have a large group that's grown fairly quick. We launched it 12 months ago, The Pit. I think we have close to 600 and something members. Wow. Um, this will be turned on most likely soon. And uh, maybe we'll convert 60 to 100 of those off the bat because those are the people that are serious. And those are the people that someone like myself or you are going to spend more time with because they're ready to stroke a check or they're ready to get out their hammer or they're ready to you know, sign on the dotted line to flip a home with you. But I want to fire off random questions and just you know, go through it. So I was in New York City recently, and uh, you know, all religions to me you know, are, you know, I don't know 
if they're right, wrong, or indifferent. I don't know if the Quran's right, the Bible's right. You know, Jacob or Michael came across the country with the metal book or something as the Mormons. I don't know what the story is. Anyway, I was in New York City watching the Book of Mormon, the play. That is a raunchy play. They were like a bunch of dildos on stage. There was some crazy stuff going on. <laughs> like, what? Like, what is up with that play? What is that predicated on? Does it say somewhere in your book? Like, is this a Friday night for you? No, I dude, mean, this was. Is this where? Is this what this guy's doing? My mother-in-law took me to the play. <laughs> you know? like, it was her idea. <laughs> And there was some raunchy stuff going on, so I, I just want to know what goes on in the culture out I, there. I, you know what? I haven't. I'm not being seen, offensive. I just want to know. No, I haven't seen the play, but I think certain people, I guess, are mixing it up. But um, I, I guess what's the what? So what's did the Michael question? carry the book across the country? He was killed. What happened? Uh, Where did the Mormon story come from? And you guys have really, really big churches. Yeah, like big churches. Yeah, they ask for a lot of tithing at our church. Ten percent. And what do you guys do? You guys do like walkthroughs or something? Like Keaton did that walkthrough? Like you walk through, like what goes on? Oh, no. So our church, we have churches and then we have temples. Mm-hmm. So temples is like where you get married um, and churches are where you just go on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. And you talked earlier about, you know, missionary. And I'm going to ask you these questions. Yeah. I hope they're not offensive no, to no, you No, no, it's all. fine. You know, and I'm, I'm trying I'm hard to, to get offended, man. Yeah. Like seriously, it's, yeah. I'm trying, like, I'm really curious, you know, a lot of people here are, like, Italian and Irish, so they're all, like, Catholic, right? And the Catholics got their own problems, right? We don't have to get into that. But, like, the, the missionary thing, right? The prophet, whoever this guy is, he yeah. sits in some box, almost like he's on the sidelines of the NFL, up in the, the coaching's booth, and he's like, all right, we're going to send this guy to Disneyland. We're going to send that guy. And that's, that's what the play was really playing out, like, hey, you're going to go do, you know, Michael's book's you know, duty, and they're going to go send you here or there. Like, who makes those decisions? How does that come about? Is there 501Cs from around the world reaching out to, you know, the church of, of the Mormons? And, you know, how does that all work? Yeah, so I'll give you kind of the elevator pitch of the church. Like, we believe in modern-day prophets. Mm-hmm. So, like, 2,000 years ago, Christ was here. You had prophets like, you know, John, Peter, all of them. Paul. and Paul, the whole crew. And they were killed off, right? And so after that, there weren't any prophets. And so Joseph Smith is who you were talking about. Yeah, Joe, that was his name. Joe. Um, he was killed. That was ki- Yeah, that was, you know, martyred, killed. Basically, he was a prophet. And um, he found the book. It's called the Book of Mormon. So, like, at that time of Jesus Christ, there were people across the world. And people were writing scripture. So you have the Bible that's a collection of a bunch of prophets that was put together. The Book of Mormon was those same prophets were writing about Christ and about God, but in the Americas at that exact same time. And so the Bible's not like, it's not like, oh, we only believe in the Book of Mormon or the Bible. It's completely separate, but it's just different writings from different people across the country. And and for people here on the East Coast that, you know, are going to watch this podcast that are friends of me, they're in my network, or they're just a, a fan of Fireside America, you know, Talk about the culture out there out west. You know, I thought the people were very nice. Um, Utah's beautiful. You guys need to get like some other food besides like fast food. Yeah. And uh, maybe some English speaking people at the cash register so we communicate our <laughs> meal. But like talk about the culture out there and everything it's meant to you. It's it's different. I mean, it's a lot of people. It's kind of been the hidden gem. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the flight here, some guy from New York City flew out there to ski, and he had a great experience. Yeah. He's got amazing snow. 
You got every, if you're Park into City the, is sick. If you're into the outdoors, Utah's the place. Tons of hikes, tons of national parks. Um, but there's a lot of people moving from New York, from California, Arizona. They're moving to Utah. There's tons of jobs, tons of mountains. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to raise your family. My wife's from California. She's like, I want to move to Utah. And she's like, I don't want to move back to California. I don't blame her. Yeah, there's a lot of California people coming over. I know there was a couple guys while we were there. I think at Starbucks, I overheard talking that they were like, you know, we were coming in and we're developing. That town that Keaton lives in, it seems like they put up those plazas not too long ago. Yeah. And they're getting, they're trying to get the bars and restaurants in there and everything going. Yeah, it's it's, a lot different than 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, we we like Utah. And, and, you know, the way I see about, I don't really care where you live. It matters who you're with. You you know, if you're a good person, you're going to surround yourself with great people too as well. But it's a good place. So what is up with the 3% beers? Like, so I just got to have 60 beers instead of 30. Yeah. Yeah, to get the same drunk, and now my calorie intake is a lot higher. So I'm already pissed off at the politicians in Utah. Yeah, I think that's at gas stations and supermarket. But if you go to the liquor store, you can get the six percent, the good stuff. So I could get three percent Coors Lights, but I could just go slam the bottle bourbon. It's all good. Yeah, you're good to go, right? Typical politician. Yeah, they always got some wacky stuff going on. It's a it's a uh, really cool place, full of a lot of really nice people. Park City was awesome. We had drove up there. Trevor had been prior, and he's like, let's just go check it out. And it was a film festival, and the place was jamming, but it also had snowed recently, and just like a great mountain town feel. It reminded me of Aspen, but a little less bougie, Um, but still very pretty, nice homes, beautiful mountains. You know, lifts were going all different types of ways. Uh, We also went to one of the national parks to go snowmobile in the one day. We had a little break while we were out there. And uh, drove on this long, windy road up the hill, and there was this random lady at a booth by herself. I mean, we easily could have just drove around if she wasn't catching us. <laughs> we stopped and paid her like $5, and we just pulled off, and there was this little hut with a bunch of snowmobiles and some people. We may or may not have been almost kicked off the tour. <laughs> you know, you give Jersey guys some, you know, snowmobiles, gets a little rowdy. Uh, but, wow, what beautiful you know, shots that we were getting. We'd stop at these turns and we'd be at the next elevation, 5,000 feet, 6,000 feet, 9,500. We got to the top and, you know, Wyoming was over to the left, Idaho mm-hmm. over to the right, and uh, it was just gorgeous. Like, if you've never been out to Utah, I would absolutely be checking it out. Yeah, and it's easy, too. You fly into the airport, 20 minutes away, you're in Park City. Yeah. You know, they have Sundance Film Festival there. They just had the NBA All-Star Game there a couple months ago. Yeah. It's, it's a good place. It's, a, it's you know, it's growing, and there's a lot of um, – they've spent a lot of money on the infrastructure with the cities, too. Some of the – you know, there's a city called Ogden. That's where I do a lot of my yep. flips. Yep. And they've spent a lot of money in the infrastructure there. And so it's one of the fastest-growing communities in all of the country. It's great. Here's my sales pitch for someone who wants to get to a mountain. My wife and I are going to build a, a cabin, hopefully the next five years – you know, if you want to get to a mountain town, pretty much anywhere in Utah along that strip, like from where you live to Keaton, like anywhere you look left or right, you see large mountains. And they feel like they're closer than they are, and you could somehow keep driving and not yeah. run into them. Yeah. But it seems like every house and every neighborhood has a beautiful view of snowy mountains. Although Rob Bailey did point out a, a really good point. He said, you guys have no trees. Yeah. You know, there's really no trees. What's up with that? We have a lot of wind. So the wind just, just, just takes us, them down. I mean, we're high desert, so out here, you guys, lots of trees. They're 
Trees and ocean and bends. Trees and ocean. And Italians. Uh-oh. The, the other thing, we in, in New Jersey, we have something in the Pine Barrens. It's, it's, it's a beast. It's an animal. He's been seen before. But you guys got some type of, like, wacky Sasquatch or something, like, running behind Keaton's house. Like, what's up with that thing? Oh, did you see that video? Yeah, what, like, what is I, that? I don't know. It's entertaining. Is that, like, a, like a real thing out there? I... What, like, what is it? <laughs> I mean, you're the red suit realtor. You know everybody. You don't know Sasquatch? I haven't met him yet. All right. Yeah. He needs somebody to talk to him in a red suit. He the, may the, need a house. The hide-and-seek champ, Sasquatch? Yeah. Yeah, is that it's, who it's, the hide-and-seek champ is? Keaton flew up in his helicopter. They said they saw him. Oh. I don't know. I'm going to really start you, to get You got to me get... on uh, on Sasquatch, man. <laughs> I'm going to get to the bottom let's of this. Let's talk to Keaton about that. I will. When you talk to him, let's, you know. He's, Tomorrow. He says that he saw him in his helicopter. Dude, someone sent him footage, and they went up, and they saw him. I think maybe Keaton is Sasquatch. He could be. I think. He could be. He could be. See his tree trunks? There's like the, like his some, legs? He's got some thick tree trunks. Oh, yeah. And he's he could got, be running around the mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I mean, he did a great job breaking through that wall in your house in that video. That was quite impressive. Oh, yeah. He didn't look like he maneuvered the sledgehammer well, though. No. It was just his big tree trunk legs, Sasquatch running to the mountains ability. Oh, kind of he, helped. He break hit the a wall. few studs. That, that thing just came back. That, I don't know if you saw that, but literally that sledgehammer Did edit that? was held on by duct, duct tape. Like, yeah. that could have been bad. Yeah, um, not safe. We just, that's all we had at the time. So Was that like, like the only physical work he did? Just <laughs> one sledgehammer thing? <laughs> he's a lot bigger than I am, so I'm not going to confirm or deny that. But he looked pretty good taking down those walls, you know? <clears throat> he was a handsome guy. He's there guy. for the photo shoot. He's a handsome guy. So I'm going to roll this to an end. We had some laughs. And again, I, anybody who watches this who's of the Mormon faith and from Utah, I say these things, you know, in, in very lightheartedness and, and having fun. The people out there were amazing. Uh, I like to learn about a new culture. The dildos on stage with the Book of Mormon was fully fucking truthful. And if you haven't seen it, you need to go see it. It's a really wrong. I, I don't know if I was on Pornhub or I was at a play, but the shit was getting wild. I'm like, they really know how to pitch a faith. But seriously, I, I mean, you think I'm joking. I, you, you got me on that and Sasquatch tonight. I usually am not yeah, speechless, but you got me twice there. You're pretty talkative. So rounding this out, I like to ask two questions to every guest. And the first question is, if you were talking to anybody, it's not just in the real estate space. Someone who is looking to get into business, get into real estate, get into you know, being an entrepreneur, what's the one thing you would tell them? You, you can't give me five. What's the one most important thing to you that you would tell them? Take the shot. Yeah. Just take the shot. Michael Jordan missed 50% of the shots, and he's probably one of the greatest basketball players ever. Just take the shot. Yeah, that's a really good one. Second one, you know, we're in the virtual space, and you're obviously from Utah. We're here on the East Coast in Jersey. Um, you know, give me a couple, two, three business owners. We gave a lot of love to Sean and the Lions, Dan and Keaton, and a bunch of these other people in the coaching space. Give some love to some other virtual relationships that you have seen doing really well in their business, doing really well in their community, and turning around and helping the next guy or gal. Yeah, the first person I think of is uh, is the Dream Starter, yes, Mark, Mark Evans. 
Mike Fallett? Well, Mike, yeah, Mike Fallett, the dream starter, he did um, Mark Evans' book, mm-hmm. and he's the deal maker. But, but Mike Fallett has changed everything for me when he pushed me into writing a book. And he's a really, really good dude, and he's going to be emceeing the event. We didn't even get to get into your book. What is, what is your book called again for those It's who- called Suited for Real Estate Success, and it's just basically how to start. Like, I wrote it to myself twenty five years when I was 25, what I wish I would have known about real estate. And so I basically wrote the book to my 25-year-old self. I've got a son that's 27, and at the time, it's like, man, I wish he would start investing in real estate today so he can have home ownership. So in a nutshell, it's the book of how to do real estate, how to start investing in real estate is yeah. the name of the book. I, I have breezed through it. I didn't fully read it. It is very good. And Mike Fallett does an excellent job. And he's also helping MC at the event because of you, because you're a connector. And uh, he got two guys to actually stroke a check as a sponsorship. Um, uh, sh- I forget. what it's, it's SUS is their abbreviation, but Jake and Damon, they're great guys. They're coming yeah. out. They sponsored the event because of your uh, master connections. Um, give us another one. Yeah, I'd just say Mark Evans. Mark Evans. Yeah. Mark Evans, the deal maker. He is, when it comes to relationship capital, I know you talk a lot about him as well. He is just one of the most genuine guys. He's a door knocker. He came from humble backgrounds. And if you really talk to that guy, he wants everyone to win. And he's been one of my real estate and business mentors that's out there. Probably six six months ago, we were DMing, and a lot of these guys that start to get some big notoriety, I recognize it myself with only you know four thousand followers. It's hard to remember who's who. Instagram has small photos. Mm-hmm. It's it's really hard to keep up with all of it. And uh, we were DMing one day. He's like, "Dude, I'm easy. Let's just hop on the call." It was a Sunday, and I remember hopping on the call with them, and we were talking about his mastermind, which he has a couple different levels, but the top one is you know fifty thousand dollar buy in. And a lot of people may say, "Oh, fifty grand." It's not. I can go stroke a check to Mark Evans for 50 grand, and instantly he's going to be a connector for me and what I have to add value to other people in his group, and he's going to connect me with them, which will easily pay for that $50,000 fee. Um, I took us a little off track there, but he's a really good guy. He does a really good job in what he's doing over there. He sent me actually a couple nice hats. One has a red logo. I should yeah. give it to you. Actually, I think one is red too, right, Trev? Or yeah, I think I got a full red one. We got to give it to you at the office. Let's go. Listen, this has been fun. You shed some really good light about your life. I know we talked about your brother. I know that's not easy. Um, but I want people to understand who you are and what your why is and what drives you. And I know your brother's a big part of that as well as your wife and, and your family and your loved ones. Uh, you're a great dude. You're going to crush it with this MC. And I know for a fact we are going to help thousands and thousands of people together and make a lot of money and live the financial freedom life that we want to live with our family. So... Cheers. Thank you for coming on, and I look forward to hanging out all weekend.